everybody, and welcome into the first episode of the Portland Sea Dogs podcast. I'm your host, Emma Tiedemann, the Director of Broadcasting and what would have been play-by-play voice of the Portland Sea Dogs in 2020. And I'm so excited to debut our first episode of our podcast that will feature former Sea Dogs players, managers, people around the organization, but we'll also take a look in a couple other segments throughout the episodes of the game of baseball itself. We'll dive a little bit deeper in traditional baseball fair. We'll look at the business of baseball itself and of course some history of baseball as well. Now with our first episode, I'm very excited to present our first guest, Tanner Houck, former Portland Sea Dog. And if you followed Major League Baseball this year, you noticed that he made his Major League debut and really put himself on the map early, but also had to make that debut in a season that featured a global pandemic, a shutdown spring training, and no minor league baseball. You know, I think for all of us, 2020 has not really been exactly what we expected. Personally, I came up to Portland in March and was ecstatic to get the season started with the Portland Sea Dogs. But but on my first day of work at 8.45 in the morning, we had an all-staff meeting and we were sent to work from home for the next three months. And during that time, minor league baseball was officially canceled. And, you know, you kind of had to change your expectations, uh, you know, whenever something like that happens. So Tanner is no stranger to that also happening and, and having to go through those challenges of 2020. So we'll talk to him. And then we'll also break down the fair as in one of our segments. We'll take a closer look into what we always sing together in the seventh inning, Take Me Out to the Ball Game and the Origins of that song. And then we'll look a little bit closer into another word that you hear every day at the ballpark, and that's the word dugout and about its origins and where it came from. And then we'll wrap it up with a little baseball history and this day in baseball history before we close things out. So without further ado, we'll kick off our debut episode of the Portland Sea Dogs podcast. Here's Tanner Houck. Kind of dive right in, um, you know, talking about 2020 and everything, and I guess we can start at spring training. Are you aware that that might be shut down and kind of keeping a t- like tabs on the coronavirus? But kind of how did how did spring training go, and then all of a sudden it stopped? Yeah, that was a like really crazy time because we had a meeting about it, and they were like, "Hey, like this is like, you know, maybe a big deal, like." you need to like wash your hands, like use hand sanitizer, like just like it it was before the whole masks for sure. And like, we were like, okay, like it's kind of like the flu, like, like you'll get it and like, it'll be you know really bad for, for a while, but then like, you'll be okay. But we didn't understand how severe it really was. And I think like for us, like that really like, for me at least didn't like, appear in my head so I was like all right like just keep playing like all is good I just gotten actually sent down to minor league camp so I was like all right let's get back to work here we go and then like we had another meeting Friday morning and they were like everything's fine like day to day like we'll be good and then that night we got a call saying hey spring training shut down and I was like oh my god like this is the craziest thing that I think has ever happened so in that time it was it was crazy so did you go home then at that point you know were you still trying to stay in that mentality of training and preparing for a season but what was your next steps after that 
Yeah, I mean, my my first thought was, all right, this is going to be a week. This is going to be like, we'll, we'll be fine. I originally went home, uh, and I was like, all right, it'll be a month. Like after a week passed, like we'll we'll get a plan in order, and like we'll be back down there. So I hadn't even unpacked like the entire time I was at home. I was just like wearing what I had left in my closet, and I was like, this will be fun, and uh, I'll be ready to drive back down to Florida and a month happened and then two months three and I was like what is going on but it all worked out in the end to where we we finally had a game plan. Kind of got the notion that you're going to go to the alternate site work on a couple of things in Pawtucket but was that some sort of relief to be in some sort of routine of preparing to maybe go to Fenway eventually but the routine did that help at all to kind of normalize the situation? Yeah, for sure. I, the, the setting, what we had in Pawtucket was great, and I, I'm super thankful for what they did. the Red Sox did for us there because uh, they, they tried their best to make it, you know, as normal as possible. And it was. It, on a baseball field, it was pretty normal, like a standard, you know, you go in, lift, run, throw, you know, game whatever the the sim games were a little bit different because not all the time you didn't have all the fielders or you throw the same guy back to back at bats um so that was definitely as normal as it could be it was kind of like another just spring training the entire time uh but Pawtucket was (laughs) was an experience for sure and it, you had a little bit of productive time there, too, because I read that you actually replaced your changeup with a splitter. So what was what was that like in the midst of all this learning a new pitch? Yeah, that was <laughs> that was like kind of icing on the cake. You know what? It's 2020. COVID's happening. We're at an alter, alternate site where we can only work on stuff. And eventually they were like, hey, let's, let's only throw this. I was like, all right, I got – plenty of time to work on it it's uh, I'm going into basically simulated games uh as best as possible but no one's keeping track no one's you know oh he gave up four hits today five hits today like what's going on but no it was like a time where I can solely focus on all right my development here we go and it was great I'm so thankful for you know all the all the guys there you know Paul Abbott being one of them uh who helped me tremendously with that and my delivery actually. Oh, part of your delivery, you changed your arm slot, correct? On your splitter. So how was that of, you know, kind of, you know, you've thrown from one location for the majority of your career and then changing that up. Was that, was some technology maybe included in that? You could kind of break that pitch location down a little bit, but how did that go about? Yeah, we, we looked at uh, TrackMan and realized that, on some of my pitches, I was getting some uh, more consistent arm slot and being able to to really kind of get, uh, I would say, like on top of the ball, but like not be so on side of it to where I create like a uh, like a bad spin access. Um, but raising the slot was the best thing for me because it was I was able to like feel like I got repeatability on like all my pitches and I feel like they came out of the same slot more consistently and the the split fitting right into that slot a little bit higher slot for like a 
lower three-quarter guy already, it, it just kind of fit a lot better than the changeup that I was struggling on for the past three years. That obviously paid off for you. And you got, you know, what every person's dream is, the call up to the big leagues. But again, it's still in 2020. Looking back as a, as a young kid, you probably have been dreaming about this for years. And then you get the call to go and play in an empty ballpark. How was that first hearing the words that you're going to join the Red Sox? And, and then second, kind of taking that other aspect in if it's still COVID. Yeah, getting, the, getting told I was getting the start was, was like a, a, a moment all in itself. It was, I was actually out on the field playing catch with um, uh, one of the teammates, and Ron walked up to me. And at the time, I was with the team um, just on the uh, taxi squad because you could bring, uh, I think it was like four extra guys with you on the road. So I was part of the taxi squad. Uh, and I was just out there and really wasn't thinking anything of it. He told me, hey, you got the ball uh, first game in, against Miami. Uh, you ready? And I was like, yeah, I got it. Like, just honestly, in the moment, I really didn't even think about it. I was just kind of continuing to play catch. And later on, it definitely sunk in, though. Whenever I, I called family and told them and everything like that, it was a great moment. But then the whole no fans thing, definitely not the uh, the way I envisioned it happening. <laughs> it, the way I would say, I definitely thought I would have my family in the stands and uh, have them there for support. But honestly, it was a great way for me to be introduced. Uh, it, I got my feet wet uh, with without all the you know heckling fans and everything like that. But I, I also can't wait for a, a nice packed Fenway crowd. Was it different also with the piped in crowd noise? Did that maybe affect you at all? Because I mean, on TV, it looks very bizarre. So the first time they started doing it in Pawtucket, I was like really thrown off by it. It, it really didn't sound like a crowd at all to me. I was like, what, like, what is this noise going on? It, it kind of bugged me. But uh, you kind of get used to it after a while. Once you get locked in, then I, I pretty much just see the Met and the uh, and the signs. That's pretty much my my whole routine is just look in there. Don't let outside distractions uh, play into my head. Well, and also leading up to your debut, you had a lot of Mizzou alums wish you well, including Max Scherzer. Uh, how was that to kind of see that support from your collegiate team? And then especially a guy like Max Scherzer, do you, do you all have a relationship that he's kept tabs on you as you've moved up the system at all? Uh, I, I like to think he has. I mean, he's a Mizzou alumni, and we, we've had some conversations here and there. Uh, we, we have a, a former uh, colleague and friend of ours that was our strength coach at Mizzou, um, who introduced us, and so we've had some conversations. Uh, I was actually back at Mizzou uh, whenever they retired um, Max's jersey uh, at Missouri, so that was another great experience to get to watch him. But to have the support of all those guys, like uh, Gibson was another guy that reached out. Uh, Kinsler was in the video. I mean, there was just numerous guys that I grew up watching and, and getting to have them, you know, support me like that was truly an honor. 
Did you have nerves leading up to it? So maybe you watched it all after the game or did you take it in leading up to the first pitch and, and just help that motivate you a little bit? Uh, yeah, I definitely saw some of it before, but pretty much on my, on my start days, I'm, I'm stuck to a pretty strict routine that I follow. So I, I really wasn't on my phone on social media like that. I was texting, you know, some family members and girlfriend, and that was pretty much it. But just locked in on, all right, it's still 60 feet, six inches. Nothing, nothing's really changed. The only thing that really changed is the jersey that you're wearing. And, and those games count a little bit more, but, uh, but they're, it's still a game. You faced three playoff bound teams and I mean obviously each start just seemed to get better and better for you but what was the transition like from facing minor league hitters to major league hitters and not just any major league hitters but you had some of the best especially against the Atlanta Braves you had some of the best hitters in baseball right now what was that being thrown to the fire like? Honestly I loved it I, I'm never one to back down from a challenge I if you say I can't do something, I'm probably 10 times out of 10 going to try and like continue to do it and like see if I can do it. So I'm pretty competitive when it comes to stuff like that. And getting to getting thrown into fire, I fully embraced it. I, I knew that if I just go out there and execute what I know I can do and, and just make my pitches, all right, I have a pretty good chance. I, I had I have a great defense behind me. <laughs> they, I mean, there's some of the top of the line, and then I just trusted Christian to call a game. I mean, he's called numerous games before, and he might see something that I don't. I'm still learning, and I just relied on them and, and Bushy to kind of guide me through it a little bit. How is your relationship with catchers, would you say? Do you – you know, really kind of value that relationship. So you try to grow together as teammates a little bit closer just because it is you and the catcher every time you go out there or do you just kind of take it game by game? I think you got to have a strong connection with your catcher. With a stronger connection, just in the moment of the game, like I'd be thinking in my head, I want to throw this pitch. And what do you know? Like they call that pitch right away, like first sign. Mm -hmm. I mean like, you're just in sync. You're on a new level. And, like, all right, you know what I want. I know what you want. Like, here we go. Let's do that. And we're good. Something else that you did throughout 2020 was your uh, Pitch for Adoption campaign. Talk a little bit about how that kind of initiative came to be close to your heart and the great things you've done for, for that organization so far this year. Yeah, so I started it back in 2018, which is my first full season. Uh, but... The reason I started it was I have a, a younger sister, Rihanna, who is adopted. Uh, we adopted her a few years ago. Um, actually, the the day that she came into our lives, whenever she was still uh, a foster kid, my mom had to bring her to a baseball game. I was uh, actually pitching on a JV field uh, as a freshman, and I was just looked over and I saw her walking up with a stroller, and I was like, what? Like, and I pointed out, I was like, who's that? And she was like, oh, it's your new sister. I'm like, uh, okay. Like, I'm about to go and play a baseball game here. And like, what do you know? Here she is. So just to, just to see how much her life has changed. And like, growing up, I had 
everything I needed to I remember driving out St. Louis every night for baseball lessons because I wanted to play professional baseball my mom gave me everything that she could and seeing what she's doing for like Brianna now and like doing the same thing for her and like her coming from really nothing I mean I want to try and help kids like that I want to give them what they can't have and and just kind of know that someone's there to like support them and like someone's fighting in their corner. That's fantastic. You know, this is the Portland Sea Dogs podcast, so I would be remiss if I didn't ask some some Portland questions. Um, All right. <laughs> but what it what was you know some of your best memories from Portland? Even I'm from Texas, went to Mizzou as well. Never imagined I'd be up in Maine, as I can probably <laughs> assume was the same for you. So what what were some of the you know the happy memories that you look back during your time here? Definitely the fans. The fans were great. I I loved seeing uh, them pack out the stadium and and all down the uh, right field line at the at the pavilion. That was great. I loved interacting with the fans uh, on a day-to-day basis. It was truly an honor um, to do that. Great city. Honestly, Portland is one of my, like, I would go there in the summertime to visit all the time. Great food. I had so much fun getting to experience all their food up there and getting, you know, some obviously great seafood. but just having that awesome experience, great host family uh, with the Rogers. They they took care of me very well. So just all in all, Portland was a great year. Awesome, that's great to hear. I technically have not been to a Sea Dogs game yet um, because our season was canceled. So it's good to hear that. Look forward to the fans. Now looking ahead, we still have a couple months left in 2020, unfortunately and an off season ahead as well. What, what is the off season going to entail for you? How are you going to fill the time? A lot of preparing for 2021 season, uh, moving down to Florida, uh, just to completely change things up and, and just kind of revamp myself and just dedicate myself to nothing but the craft of pitching. Uh, so a lot of that, a lot of getting to hang out with friends and family uh, over the holidays is obviously another great thing to do. Uh, but like I said, mostly just honing in on my craft. Uh, I, I want to do this not for one, two years. I want to do this for the next 10, 12 years. So I know I got a long, long road ahead of me and I got to work and I got to start building a great foundation. I'm sure that uh, Red Sox fans are happy to hear that you plan to be around for a while. <laughs> um, but, you know, Tanner, thanks so much for, for chatting and um, hope that you and your family stay safe and healthy this holiday season. Yeah, thank you. You as well. Take me out to the ball game. You sing it during every seventh inning stretch. Then you sit back down and watch the bottom of the seventh. And that is about as much thought that I've ever put in to a song that I've heard hundreds, if not thousands of times so far in my career. Now that was until I came across an article in the Smithsonian Magazine that kind of broke down a little bit of the history of this song and and how it came to be. And actually, 
how it's about a woman who just wanted her boyfriend to take her to a baseball game, something that I can very much relate to. But it didn't come out until a couple of years ago that this was kind of the history of it. So in this segment, which we're going to call Break Down the Fair, we're going to break down Take Me Out to the Ball Game and dive a little bit deeper about the history of it. And maybe next time when you're out at Hadlock Field or, or Fenway or whatever ballpark you choose to watch your next baseball game at, maybe you'll have a little tidbit to tell the person you, you go to the game with as you sit back down for the bottom of the seventh inning. So Take Me Out to the Ball Game, written in 1908 by lyricist Jack Norwith and his composer Albert Von Tilzer. This song was actually written as Jack Norwith's ode to his girlfriend, Trixie Fraganza. She was a progressive and outspoken actress and suffragist in the early 1900s. Now, the early 1900s, just to take you back a little bit, was a critical time in the fight for the vote. Members of the Women's Progressive Suffrage Union held the first suffrage march in New York City in 1908, and the NAACP was established in 1909 to fight for the voting rights of people of color. And then in 1910, 10,000 people gathered in New York City's Union Square for what was then the largest demonstration in support of women's suffrage in American history. And Trixie was along for all of that. And so Norwith was riding alone on a subway in New York City on an early spring day. He noticed a sign on the subway that read, quote, Baseball Today, Polo Grounds. And as he sat there, he wrote down the lyrics of what would become Take Me Out to the Ball Game on the back of an envelope. This envelope can be found at the National Baseball Hall of Fame. So if you ever find yourself in New York, be sure to try and take a peek at the envelope if you can. And if we dive a little bit deeper into the lyrics... You can have noticed that it was probably about Trixie. Now, the lyrics actually feature a character, Katie Casey, who was baseball mad and she just wanted to root for the hometown crew. And on a Saturday night, her young beau called to see if she'd like to go to see a show. But Miss Kate said, no, I'll tell you what you can do. And so begins the most famous words of Take Me Out to the Ball Game, which we all know. And the song goes on is to say that Katie saw all of the games, she knew the players by their first names, even told the umpire he was wrong all along, which I think every baseball fan can relate to. And when the score was just 2-2, two to two, Katie Casey knew what to do. Just to cheer up the boys she knew, she made the gang sing this song. And so it begins again, Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Now, to make this maybe even more unique past the kind of feminist angle that this song has that I don't think many people are aware of, but the lyricist Jack Norwith actually had never been to a baseball game before. He just saw the sign in the subway one day, wrote down the lyrics, and we've been singing that song for over a hundred years now. So the next time that we are all able to get together again at the ballpark, and the seventh inning rolls around, be sure to stand up, stretch a little, and sing loud and proud as Katie Casey would have done herself, take me out to the ball game. In this episode's baseball word of the day, we're going to look at the word bullpen. First, for the definition out of the Dixon Baseball Dictionary, the area of the ballpark where the relief pitchers and warm-up catcher are situated during the game. There are two bullpens, one for each team, located outside of fair territory, usually at either opposite ends of the outfield or along each foul line. 
The appointments differ, but all Major League bullpens contain mounds and home plates. The primary purpose of the bullpen is a place where relief pitchers can prepare and warm up for entry into the game. So that's pretty obvious, right? We all have an idea of what a bullpen is, what a bullpen contains, but if we break down and look at the etymology, that's where things get a little bit tricky. Back in 1967, the New York Mets manager at the time, Casey Stingle, once said, quote, you could look it up and get 80 different answers, but we used to have pitchers who could pitch 50 or 60 games a year, and the extra pitchers would just sit around shooting the bull, and no manager wanted all that gabbing on the bench. So he put them in this kind of a pen in the outfield to warm up. It looked like a place to keep cows or bulls, end quote. Now, Johnny Murphy was also quoted in that same article. Murphy, who, of course, spent 11 years in the bullpen for the New York Yankees, and he said, quote, It came from Bull Durham Tobacco, I was always told. All the ballparks had advertising signs on the outfield fences, and Bull Durham was always near the spot where the relief pitchers warmed up, end quote. Murphy's theory has actually proven to show up with some various twists to the idea that he brings to the word bullpen. Now, one of these variations comes from the days when the players would warm up on the outfield grass and in the uh, hot summer heat, they would take shade and take refuge in the shadows of the Bull Durham outfield signs. Now, not all the time they were the Bull Durham signs, but at that time in baseball in in the early 1900s, the majority of all minor league and major league ballparks at the time had Bull Durham signs which is why that has followed this theory for so long. Now, to put into perspective the size of these signs, they would be 40 feet long, 25 feet high, and offering an award to any batter who could hit a ball off of one. Very similar to the, of course, famed movie Bull Durham, where you hit the bull, you win a stake. So it was similar in the 1900s. Typically, players would win $50 in cash, or they would get 72 packs of tobacco. The other idea from this theory comes from the term bullpen that had been used in the United States to denote either a long enclosure for holding cattle or a holding area for prisoners. There was an unsigned letter in the Sporting News in 1939 that sided with the jail theory saying, quote, the place in most jails where prisoners exercise is known as the bullpen. I just remembered when a young boy I asked the policeman where he was going with two drunken men, and he said to the bullpen and sober them up to be good men. Lexicographer David Shulman even attested the fact that the word bullpen was actually criminal slang for a prison yard before it even showed up and applied to baseball. Another theory that pops up from time to time likens the relief pitchers to the reserve bulls in bullfighting who are in pens near the arena should the starting bull be found to be lacking, which is similar to relief pitchers coming in for starting pitchers who may be injured or get tired after a certain amount of innings. Now, that idea sounds neat and cool and everything, uh, but that one is pure conjecture and, and one that has been disproven up to this point. Now, I could keep going on and on about the different variations of these sort of same theories that people have about where the word bullpen comes from, but you know, this podcast does have to wrap up eventually, so I'm going to leave it at that. And you make your own theories of maybe it did come from an offshoot of the word bullpen from 
keeping literal bulls in pens, or if it came from managers sending talkative relief pitchers out to a different part of the ballpark so they didn't have to hear them talk anymore. But I'll leave you at that, let you come up with maybe your own theory of where the word came from, but that will do it for our first segment of our baseball word of the day, and of course, our word of the day was bullpen. And that will do it for us for our first episode of the Portland Sea Dogs podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and be sure to keep an eye out in the coming weeks for our second episode. Now to close things out, here is one of the earliest recordings of Take Me Out to the Ball Game, this version recorded in 1908. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Take Me Out to the Ball Game, sung by Edward Meeker, Edison Record. Casey was baseball mad, had the fever and had it bad, just to root for the hometown through every zoo, Katie Blue. On a Saturday, her young beau called to see if she'd like to go to see a show, but Miss Kate said no, I'll tell you what you can do. Take me out to the ball game, take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jack. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes. You're out at the old ball game. All along, good and strong. When the score was just two to two, Katie Casey knew what to do. Just to cheer up the boys she knew, she made the gang sing this song. Take me out to the ball game, take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and cracker jacks. I don't care if I never get back, let me root. Root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball.